Good morning, everybody. I consider it an honor and privilege to be able to stand before you this morning. Uh, Grant is a hazard village this morning, as uh, he is on the first and fifth Sundays of every month. I'm glad that you're here. we got a few that's out because of travel and uh, some that can't be here because of sickness, but we're glad that you're here. We're glad to have our visitors with us. Uh, Kim, good to see you and John Kobe with us and your family. And you sure got a pretty little girl, I think. I've seen her pictures before. Now I've seen her in person, and the pictures do not lie. A beautiful little baby girl, and uh, a very precious family. We're glad to have everybody here with us. So we're going to talk today about the world's greatest monument. And uh, you may wonder what in the world is he talking about, talking about monuments. There's a picture of Abraham Lincoln. That's not the world's greatest monument. That's a good, good, good monument. It's a nice monument. President Lincoln. And there's a picture of the Washington Monument honoring President George Washington, the first president of the United States. Great president. Great monument. Beautiful scene there. There's the Jefferson Memorial. Thomas Jefferson, who's wrote the Declaration of Independence. That's a pretty good memorial. Pretty nice thing to honor. Uh, there's the Vietnam Wall, honoring the 58,000 and more boys that were killed in Vietnam. And uh, very, very nice memorial. Uh, I know when this young lady that designed this monument first designed it, uh, a lot of people hated it. They hated it. They thought this is terrible because there's no order to the, the danger in order the, the way they died and the years they died rather than, and they said, well, we can't put them in alphabetical order because there's like uh, 32 James Smiths. But so, but instead of being revived, people after a while started saying, that's a really good monument. And it's a fabulous monument. And I'd love to, I've seen uh, uh, monuments that look like it, you know, that take around the country on display, but not the actual one in Washington. But that is a beautiful monument. Uh, here's a monument to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Washington, D.C. Great civil rights leader. Here's a uh, Mount Rushmore. And there's the presidents, Washington and Jefferson and, and uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. It's a beautiful monument. Beautiful monument. There's many types of monuments, folks. There are many types of monuments. Statues are created to honor great men. We have days on our calendar to mark important dates. Uh, battlefields are dedicated and marked. Buildings are named in honor of people that put up a lot of money. And uh, streets are named after people. Biographies are written to celebrate lifetime achievements about people that have uh, done great things. But what is the greatest monument? The greatest monument never originated in the, man, in the mind of man. Now these monuments, we're, talking, we're going to talk more about the monuments we've seen just a minute ago. But the greatest monument in the world did not originate in the, man, in the mind of man. It was not designed by a renowned artist. Reporters do not regularly photograph it or write stories or newspaper articles about it. The greatest monument originated in the mind of God. Well, that makes it special right there. It originated in the mind of God, was memorialized by God's Son just before His crucifixion. He instituted the Lord's Supper. We've talked about the Lord's Supper a lot here this morning already with the reading that being had and with Jameson, the excellent job he did describing the Lord's uh, supper and how we need to think about it and how we need to contemplate and we need to concentrate upon it. This was originated in the mind of God and it was memorialized by Jesus just before his crucifixion. Christians keep a feast each Lord's day in honor of the one who lived and died for it. This, folks, right here is the world's greatest monument. We're going to talk more about that. They remember his life, his death, his resurrection. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. If any of those three parts is left out, it's not much, okay? If Jesus had not lived as a man here upon this earth, what if he sat up in heaven and said, well, I've got my feet crossed here on the ottoman 
in heaven and I've got it made and I know they've got it rough down there, but I can sympathize with them. We can't. He could not have. But when he lived here on this earth, he could sympathize with us, okay? What's it like to be hungry, Jesus? Uh, I know. Jesus knows. What's it like to be thirsty, Jesus? Jesus knows. Better than anybody. Better than anybody. He, the life that he lived. What's it like to be poor with just the clothes you have on your back? What's it like to have not a place to lay your head except maybe a stone? What's it like to die, Jesus? Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to die. The terrible pain that was inflicted upon him, the scourging, the beating. I wouldn't have put up with it for five minutes. You wouldn't have either. And then what's it like to be resurrected from the dead? When they went to the tomb, folks, the tomb's empty. Can't find Jesus. The angel said, he's not here. He is rich. We remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We call it the Lord's Supper most of the time here. We've assembled this time for the Lord's Supper. It's also known as communion. We do it together. A common union, okay? We do it together. I partake the Lord's Supper myself, but right beside me, Deb is partaking of it. Kevin's right behind me. Ben and Melvina's right up here. And different people are scattered throughout the building. There could be as many as two or 3,000 people at one time communing together. When we were at Richmond, sometimes there was over 400 people communing together. We all did it separately, but we all did it together. That's what the communion is. It's the Lord's Supper because the Lord instituted it. It's communion because we do it together. It's known as the breaking of the bread. When the disciples came together in Acts 20, verse 7, they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. This is a popular, common terminology. It's exactly what they do. You take a small portion of bread and you do that together. I could invite you over to my house today for lunch and we could break bread together. That is, a, it's the same thing. It, it, it's not a term we use. We'd say, come over and eat lunch with us or come over and eat supper with us or something like that. But there'd be nothing wrong with saying, come over to my house and let's break bread together. And most time we refer to that as the Lord's Supper. Now, but there would be nothing wrong with it. When you spend the time together, it's sometimes called the Eucharist. And that's a word you'll see in the Catholic Church from time to time from the Greek word Eucharistio or giving of thanks. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a giving of thanks, okay? It is a memorial, okay? It is not a common meal as Jameson talked about a while ago. We don't come here to fill up on it. We don't come here to get drunk on the wine. We come here to give thanks to Jesus, okay? Give thanks to God for what's been done for us. Marble... Starts to go away. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. I read one time that uh, in 10,000 years, granite will, uh, d- uh, will uh, erode an inch. In 10,000 years, okay? So if you've got a pretty thick monument, it'll be there a long, long time. There's some graves out here at Buffalo Springs. Them stones will be there when Jesus comes back, folks. Time will not, they will start to erode, but they won't erode very much. If they're cut deep and they're made strong with that granite and marble, and barbell, it's going to be there long. But it will slowly crumble. Bronze will be defaced. Dates fade in memory. Biographies go unread and out of print. Things that used to be important for people to read are no longer being read very much anymore. The greatest monument, man's monuments do not last. God's memorial remains. It remains. It will last until when? Until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, we will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. All this earthly stuff will be put behind. So don't lay up your treasure here on this earth, because you're going to be bad disappointed. You're going to leave it behind. 
Every one of us sees the obituaries every day and we see people that have died and we think, hmm, he was old. Boy, she was old. She's 95. Well, he wasn't very old or he wasn't, she wasn't very old. But people die, okay? And after time goes, those people most of the time are by and large forgotten about people in the earth. They're remembered by those people that, by Jesus himself and those that have loved him. The Lord's monument is indestructible, though it is destroyed. Let's think about this for just a moment. It is indestructible because it's destroyed. You eat the bread and you drink the fruit of the vine. And then it's no more. It's no more. But the supper remains. 2,000 years ago, as we talked about a minute ago, the saints came together on the first day of the week to break the bread. It's 2021, what we call it right now. And you know what we did this morning? We came together to break the bread and to drink the fruit of the vine. I thought they ate it all. I thought we ate it all. It's indestructible, even though it's destroyed. The supper remains, folks. There are people still today all over this world that are saying, let's take time. It's worth it to remember Jesus and what he's done for us. For as often as you eat this bread, these are the words of Jesus, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. We believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is coming back to claim us as his own. Amen. Amen. We believe with all our I know he is, okay? I know he's coming to get me. And I know He's coming to get you. He's coming to get all of His faithful children that are in the Lord's church. He's coming to get you, folks. Put a smile on your face. Put a spring in your steps. I don't care how bad you walk, how poorly you get around, and how weak your mind is. Don't might not be able to remember two plus two, but you remember one thing. Jesus loved you. He died for you. He's coming to get you. And you're going to heaven if you're found in the Lord. What a wonderful thing. We're going, Jesus says, keep doing this until I come back. And you know what we have every intention of doing is keep doing this until Jesus comes back. We have no, we've never talked about it in a, in a meeting. Well, we might curtail the Lord's Supper. We might back it up to once. We've never talked about that. And Kevin, we're not going to talk about it. It's never going to be on the table to be discussed. We're going to keep it each first day of the week until Jesus comes again. And whenever I die, I hope people say, well, when he was baptized into Christ on June the 18th, 1968, he started taking the Lord's Supper that day and he's took it every time that he could until his last breath. I missed a few times and I'll have to miss a few more probably. But I, excuse me, I don't plan on missing very many. I don't ever want to miss it. Why? Because it shows forth the Lord's death until he comes to get me. Not forgot about you. Jesus, I've not forgot about you. And folks, I know you feel the same way. That comes from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. We just read it. The Lord's Supper is universal even though it's limited to one place. Listen to this. Stalin's monument over in, in Russia, that's not very popular. If anybody said, we'll put up a memorial to Joseph Stalin, nah, we don't want to do that. Don't want to do that in America. Robert E. Lee or Ulysses Grant, they may have a monument that's popular in some places, but not so much in the other. Have you ever heard of Grant's tomb? Grant's tomb is in, in the Bronx in New York. It's a very, very nice tomb. And the reason he's got a very, very nice tomb, the people in New York loved Ulysses S. Grant. Okay? 
They think that he saved the country, and he probably did, as far as the United States of America is concerned. And when he died, they said, we're going to have him a nice monument. And they've got a nice monument for him. And that's altogether well and fitting that they do. It's a very nice monument, okay? But you might not see that in Birmingham, Alabama, okay? But same token, you don't see any Robert E. Lee statues in New York City, okay? So just because you're popular in one place don't mean you're popular in another for a lot of the monuments that the men have. Dr. Martin Luther King is loved by many, but not everybody. Few monuments receive universal support. <clears throat> in cities and counties around the world, the Lord's Supper will be kept this Sunday. We just talked about that a minute ago. All over the country, all over the world, no other monuments on as many countries, continents, countries, cities, and communities. No other one. You can drive this country all over and you say, I'm looking for the Stalin's monument. Don't have one. What about Oregon? Got it there? No. What about California? No. no. Josh, you ever seen one in Nevada for Stalin? Not going to, okay? Not going to. It's not limited to one place like a statue. It's not limited to one day like Memorial Day. We don't just do this one day a week. I mean a year. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an every first day of the week thing. We are not going to do it quarterly. We're not going to do it semi-annually. We're not going to do it yearly. We're going to do it each first day of the week just like they did in the Lord's when the church was established. No country can claim exclusive. Well, you can't have this in India because it belongs to the United States. We don't say that, do we? You can have the Lord's Supper in Africa. You can have it in California. You can have it in Nairobi, Kenya. You can have it wherever you want to have it, okay? It is the Lord's Supper. It's not limited to one place or one statue or one little piece of ground. It is, though, limited to one place. It must be eaten in the Lord's kingdom. What you say is the Lord's kingdom. It's got to be eaten there. Is that the church? Absolutely. It's in the church. It has no significance outside of the church. Well, if somebody said, come over to my house and we're going to have a little piece of wafer, of unleavened bread, and we're going to have a little sip of, of grape juice. That don't sound very much to eat. That's not going to fill me up. That's, I'm still going to be hungry. Why would I come to their house and they offer me such a minuscule amount of things? This has to be eaten in the Lord's kingdom. And the Lord's kingdom, don't let anyone ever tell you any other thing. The Lord's kingdom is the church. Jesus is the king. We are the subjects. Jesus is the husband. We are the bride. And we are intertwined. And you cannot separate us, okay? You can't take Jesus out of the church. And you can't take the church out of Jesus. You cannot do that, folks. You may try, and some people may want to. You cannot separate them two. You cannot do it. He will not have it. He will not have it. If you have a church that we have a church, and we're all a bunch of good people, but we don't really have time for Jesus, God will have no part of it. Not one, it has to be eaten in the Lord's kingdom, in the church. I will not eat, eat of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Luke 22, 18. That's the words of Jesus. I will take the Lord's Supper when the church comes, Jesus said. It has to be eaten in the church. That you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, Luke 22, 30. You may eat and drink at my table in the church or in the kingdom. No exceptions to that rule, folks. 
There is no exceptions to that rule. You can drink all the grape juice you want. You can drink all the wine you want to. You can eat all the unleavened bread you want to. But it don't amount to anything unless you're doing it for the right reason as far as the kingdom or the church is concerned. Why are you doing it? Because I am remembering what's been done for me. And I acknowledge it and I am so grateful for it. And I'm going to do it until time ceases or until my life passes. The emblems have no meaning to someone who's outside the church. Have no meaning whatsoever. Have no meaning whatsoever. Those who believe in the kingdom hasn't come yet are inconsistent with the the belief. Some people say, well, the kingdom's not come yet. Jesus is going to come back to this earth and he's going to set up a kingdom and it'll reign for a thousand years and everything will be perfect and then God then will take us home. You're inconsistent with your belief because Jesus said, I will not eat henceforth this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it in you with, it, with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. Jesus said, I will do it with you. Jesus partook of the Lord's Supper before he died. And soon as he's died, the kingdom is established, which is the church when Peter preached the first gospel sermon on the first Pentecost at the resurrection of Christ, which was 50 days later. Jesus instituted it and he established it, and it is here, and it's here to stay. So some people will say, well, the kingdom's not come yet. Jesus came on the first go-round, and it was kind of a dismal failure, and he kind of failed. And had... Can you imagine that kind of propaganda? Who would say something like that? Jesus failed at anything? Jesus didn't fall. Every single thing Jesus did was known from the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, folks, it was already known. There'll be an ark. There'll be a, there'll be a famine. There'll be floods. There'll be a divided kingdom. There'll be this. There'll be this. But then the church will come and Jesus will reign supreme over the church and he will establish it and it will be in full swing because he died and people will remember what happened for them as long as time stands until Jesus comes to take us home and he meets us in the air. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper gives life it also takes it away. Think about this. The communion is life-giving. It provides nourishment for the physical body to some extent and strength for the soul. Now, you're not going to get fat eating the Lord's Supper, okay? But if you were starved to death, it would, it would be a little help, okay? It would give you a little bit of oomph, you know, if, you were, if you're really, really hungry, okay? It gives strength for the soul. What are you talking about? It gives strength for the soul. Let's talk about that some more. By remembering Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, commitments are renewed each week to live for the Savior. Commitments are renewed each week to live for the Savior. Deb and I have been married over 44 years. We're committed, okay? We say we love you several times during the day. I never have counted how many times. I'm not going to count. I like to hear it when she said it, and she likes to hear it when I said it. I know she does. We are committed to one another. This right here, folks, is the same thing. We're committed to Christ. Can you imagine Jesus up in heaven saying, wow, that Joe Smith, he's here every time. He don't ever miss. He's not going to miss the Lord's Supper. And his mind's right when he takes it. He's thinking about me. And he appreciates me. Who likes to be appreciated? Yes, sir. Everybody in this country likes to be appreciated. Boy, you did a great job mowing my yard for me. What a good job. You cut that tree down for me magnificently. What a good job you did. Everybody likes to be a prick. You think Jesus is the same way? You think he likes to be a prick? I tell you what, I've said this a thousand times. God ain't going to have no other way. 
That's the way Shelby Roy Hodge. God's not going to have it any other way. You will appreciate the fact what Jesus done for you, or you will live eternally in hell. That's the end of the discussion. If you don't appreciate and acknowledge what Jesus has done for you, you can say, I am going to hell to stay because God ain't going to have it any other way. Not going. You will bow your knee in the name of Jesus and your tongue will confess that he is the Christ. He is the head of the church. He will have it no other way. You will acknowledge him. We were committed each week to live for the Savior. He gives life and it takes us. On the other hand, it can be soul condemning. Okay, let's talk about that. Paul says this about it. We talked about it as we read just a moment ago when James was reading. He says, what about those people that's t- taking it up just for whatever reason, unworthy matter? For he that eateth and drinketh unworthy, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. You're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. What if you say, I'm just taking the Lord's Supper because mommy wants me to do it, because grandma wants me to do it. This is such a waste of time. I'm not a bit interested in it. You're eating and drinking it unworthily, and you're damning yourself. You're damning yourself. Have you ever heard anybody tell a lie, and the more they tell, the worse trouble they're getting into? I have. They're damning themselves from the witness stand or whatever the case might be. As their, their story begins to unravel, it begins to unravel. And the more they talk, there was a lady up in Harmon's Lake one time. They went to check and see if she was raising marijuana there on her property. They thought she was. This has been 25 years ago, 30. And so the police are ready to leave. They're ready to leave. And she says this, well, I hardly even ever go to the garden. They did not search the garden. But they searched it after she said that. And when they went to the garden, marijuana growing. Went to jail, the lady did. So if she had just stayed quiet, she might have got away with it. She condemned herself, didn't she? Because she mentioned the garden. She mentioned the garden. We can do the same thing with ourselves, folks. You better acknowledge Jesus. Daniel here a couple weeks ago, as Jameson alluded to just a moment ago, he said we need to examine ourselves. We need to take time. We don't need to do it flippantly. We don't need to do it hurriedly. We need to examine ourselves to make sure that we're doing it for the right reason. It's that important. Because if you do it for the wrong reason, you're not discerning the Lord's body and you are condemning yourself. Properly taken, the Lord's Supper gives life. Improperly, it can kill To keep our mind on Jesus' death, we can look at seven fingers during communion. The first one is this. One Savior. One Savior. We know that. That's easy. Two things. One on each side of Jesus. Three what? Three crosses. Three crosses upon the hill. There's songs sung about that, and there's stories written about it. Four garments. This may be a little different for you, but look at John 19, 23, 24. We talk about oftentimes the robe that Jesus had and the soldiers did not want to destroy that robe and cut it into pieces. So they cast lots for it. But if you read John 19, 23 to 24, there was actually four garments beside the robe and they divided those, those, those soldiers did, okay? That was just four garments. One Savior, two thieves, three crosses, four garments, five wounds, okay? Where were the wounds? Two feet, two hands, one side. Five wounds, okay? Five wounds. He was hanging there from 9 in the morning until 3 that evening. Six hours. And you know what happened at midday, don't you? At noon, the brightest time of the day, the sun was turned to black. The sun was turned to black. 
Don't, you don't get dark like that. It did that. But it did that day. Because Jesus was nailed to the cross. And seven sayings. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. You can look them up. One Savior, two thieves, three crosses, four garments, five wounds, six hours, and seven. Six hours is a long time to hang on the cross, folks. Six hours in agony would be hard. It would be hard. Five wounds, one would be terrible. One would be terrible. How many of you would like to have a spear pierced in your side right now? I don't think so. But what about a nail driven through your wrist here? I don't, there's a lot of things I want in this world, but I don't want that. That crown of thorns that being brought here that was symbolic of the one they put on Jesus. You want that put on your head? Shoved on your head? You won't slap, you won't spit them. Folks, Jesus went through so much for you. We have to acknowledge it. This is simple, but it's complex. A child can understand that the bread represents the body of Jesus, the tortured body of Jesus. It's easy to understand. Little kids can see that. This represents Jesus' body. They can see that the, the fruit of the vine, it kind of looks like blood, and it's kind of kind of a bitter taste, and that explains to them the bitter experience that Jesus had upon the cross we just alluded to. It's easy for that part to be understood. This represents the body. This represents the blood. But at the same time, how can you understand what it really means. How can love someone love somebody that's so unlovable? It's easy to love. It's easy for me to love Deb. It's easy for me to love Will. Easy for me to love my kids. Easy for me to love y'all. Y'all are easy to love. Extremely easy to love. But what about somebody spitting on me? What about somebody slapping me? What about somebody cursing me? What about somebody driving nails through my hands and feet and sticking a spear in my side? How can you say from the cross, Jesus, God forgive them, for they know not what they do? Why is blood necessary for forgiveness? God has always required blood. Throughout his life, throughout his, the, the history of the world, God has required blood for covenant. The Bible tells us there is life in the blood. And they taught us this when I was in the service. They said, if you come upon somebody who is neither breathing they're not breathing at all, but, and they're bleeding. What do you do first? And I didn't really know the answer. You've got to stop the blood. Breathing is important, but blood is more important, okay? They can go a little while without breathing, but they can't go long at all without, without blood. There is life in the blood. I think that's why God used it to seal the covenants, okay? We talked about just a moment ago. On the doorpost, put the blood of the firstborn lamb. And God will pass over. The death angel will pass over. Blood seals the covenant. It seals the deal. Jesus' blood washed our sins away. We come in contact with that through baptism. God has always required blood. The cup reminds us of the horror of sin. It calls the Passover lamb to be killed. It juice tells us the price that Jesus had to pay for the church. It reminds the partaker of his baptism when he was washed in the blood. You were washed in the blood of Jesus in the back, during the, during the, when you were baptized. And your sins were washed away. That got rid of them completely. It tells us of our need to walk in the light. In John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Walk in the light. 
continuously. And the blood of Jesus continuously washes our sins. Even though we stumble, even though we make mistakes, even though we sin, the blood continuously washes our sins away. If you'll hold on to Jesus as you live in this world by assembling with the church, being as much like Jesus as you possibly can, reading and studying the Bible daily, praying to God often, participating in the Lord's Supper, laying by His Supper. If you will do those things, folks, you'll stumble, but you won't fall. You won't fall. And Jesus will take you to heaven. The Lord's Supper looks backward and forward. It looks back to the cross. It looks forward to the Lord's coming. We talked about that a few minutes ago. By the chain of weekly links, the Lord's Supper connects the Lord's first and second coming. He gave the Lord's Supper before He died, and we'll be taking it each week until He comes back again. It hooks it together. It hooks it together. Are we different than the first century church? We may look different. Table may look different. They probably didn't have these little plastic cups like we got here. So we're doing the exact same thing. Why are we doing that? Because the Lord instituted it. The Lord asked us to do it, and God would have it no other way. We're doing exactly the same. I hope in 100 years from now at Stanford, if, you know, if time stands, I hope in 200 years, 500 years, 10,000 years, what we're going to do today, the first day of the week, we're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior until He comes again. If you just look backward, the sorrow would be overwhelming. Okay? Poor Jesus, hanging on the cross. Poor Jesus, beaten and abused like He was. The sorrow would be overwhelming. But the sadness of the Lord's death is balanced by the knowledge of Jesus coming again to take us home to be with Him forever. That's a good thought. We've talked about that. Jesus is coming to get me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. He's coming to get me. I've always thought their salvation, we don't want to be selfish with it, but in some ways you've got to be completely selfish with it. I don't care what the rest of the world's going to do. I'm going to try to lead them to Jesus, but they reject Him wholeheartedly. They just have to. I'm holding on to Him. I'm holding on to Jesus. And I know you feel the same way. We're going to hold on to Jesus, folks, because I am not losing my salvation. I'm going to make sure my calling and election is sure, as the Bible instructs us to do. I want to be in that number. Let's sing that song. I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I want to be there. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy that's been prepared for you. Shelby Roy Hopkins, come on down. What a good thought, folks. Cancer, you've been tough. Heart disease, you've been terrible. Kidney failure, you've taken me out of this world. But I'm going to heaven. We eagerly anticipate the Lord coming in. There, then we shall forever be with the Lord. The greatest memorial in the history of the world is the Lord's Supper. It's been kept since the church was established and God willing it will be kept until time exists. Keep the feast, but don't keep it to yourself. Share the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as you possibly can. Do everything in your power to make sure that you're here to acknowledge Jesus. God will have it no other way. You can make up any other kind of excuse you want to. God will have it no other way. I've got to be. This is priority number one. To assemble with the saints, take the Lord's circle on the first step of the week. Priority number one. Job's important. Family's important. This, 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 this is important. But they're not as important as the Lord's circle. The foremost thing that we come together each first day of the week is for the Lord's circle. We've done that this morning already. If you are not in the Lord's kingdom, 
The Lord's Supper means nothing to you. If you're in the Lord's kingdom, it means everything to you, or it should. We encourage you this morning, if you're not in the Lord's kingdom, to come forward as we offer this invitation song. We want you to come forward and say, I need to be baptized, if you need to be baptized. Or if you've got sin in your life, say, I need this sin out of my life. I've got to get rid of it. Because I want to walk in the light. I want to be with Jesus and I want to go to heaven. And yes, sir, I'll be glad to acknowledge, to bend my knee and acknowledge who Jesus is. And I will confess Him with my lips. Put sin behind you. Press on toward the mark of the prize of the Lord, the prize of God, the Lord high calling. And you will go to heaven, folks. It's the greatest monument in the history of the world. Nothing will supplant it. Nothing will surpass it. And it will never go away until Jesus comes again. If you have any need whatsoever this morning, please come as we stand and sing. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday the record you'll see.